This is Coast to Coast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys. One from each coast, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. And I'm Bob Ambrogi from Boston, Massachusetts, and I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court, uh, which you can find at mayitpleasethecourt.com. But today, right now on Coast to Coast, we're going to be discussing first-year associate salaries. It is one of the hottest topics right now in the legal community. For the past five years, starting salaries have been relatively flat. The average base pay for a new attorney hovered around $85,000, a little bit lower, a little bit higher in some cases. But something started happening this last year. Starting pay began to explode, especially recently. Some of the big firms nationwide are offering up to a, offering up to $145,000 to start. Even in recent weeks, uh, we've seen the firm of Saul Ewing has increased its first year pay to $125,000 in, in all of its offices except Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Some large firms such as Morgan Lewis and Bacchius in New York are now paying new associates a base salary of $145,000. Recent articles from uh, various uh, ALM publications that have appeared on Law.com reflect this uh, trend in various locations throughout the country. Uh, Pepper Hamilton has raised its first year salaries in Philadelphia to $125,000, a $10,000 increase. Blank Rome raised salaries to $125,000 in Philadelphia. Uh, and in, in New York and D.C., their starting salaries are going up to $135,000. Uh, it, it was interesting. I, just, I was reading an article in the Boston Globe this morning about Deval Patrick, a, a, a candidate for governor, that was talking about his personal finances and mentioned that just, just 10 years ago when he was a partner at Hill & Barlow, he was earning a salary of $135,000 as a partner in a major Boston law firm. Uh, you know, the associates are doing better than that now. Well, that's the question we're asking today, Bob. What the heck is going on? Why are salaries jumping like this? Is this a temporary correction after years of flat earnings? And if the big firms are offering that kind of money, are the best law students who might have otherwise be going to other routes of practicing law, like prosecutors or public defenders, are they going to be going for the big bucks? There's a lot to talk about today. Here to join our discussion is attorney Carrie Bertolet of BCG Attorney Search. Carrie, who's a former commercial litigator, is the managing director of the New York office, which recruits and advises many large firms on salaries and other other issues. She has been recognized as an authority, and she is frequently contacted to comment on the trends in the legal hiring market. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks. Nice to be here. And also with us today is uh, Melissa Lennon, also an attorney and senior director of the uh, uh, Office of Career Planning at Temple Law School uh, in Temple University. Uh, Melissa is also a former practicing attorney at a, a fairly large firm. Welcome to the program, Melissa. Thanks for having me. And to give us a law student's perspective is Michael Ayer. Michael is currently a student at the University of Iowa Law School. He is on the International Law Journal. He is the captain of the Moot Court team. He's got some fairly good grades. And he's going to be graduating and starting looking for a job next year. And just for full disclosure, he's a sometimes blogger on mayitpleasethecourt.com. And he's my son. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, let's start with Carrie. This whole trend seems to have started here in California. Do you have any idea what started this sudden increase? What do you think is going on? Uh, I think it's a number of factors. Uh, as you may be aware, typically when the salaries start to go up, they, they start with New York firms. Um, so this was a highly unusual catalyst uh, coming from Los Angeles. And our opinion um, is that, frankly, a lot of the firms there were really trying to compete for New York-trained lawyers um, and that they felt like in order to be more attractive, they were going to have to start being uh, proactive and competitive with the salaries. Um, And that was, in part, uh, what started it. I think the other uh, dynamic is that firms uh, and, and associates certainly felt like the starting salaries of the large firms had been stagnant and unchanged for far too long. We, we should note that we've invited, uh, extended invitations to a number of uh, uh, some of the large firms in the country to, to participate in the program and come on and talk about salaries, but uh, we had no takers, unfortunately. Um, Melissa, let me ask you, uh, what, what's the impact of, of this uh, on on law students, does it create a, a feeding frenzy? Does it does it discourage students from seeking public service jobs and other kinds of employment? Well, I think I would just start out by saying um, we need to keep in mind that the jobs at these very large firms that are paying these now even larger salaries are really limited um, in in scope because those firms are really quite interested in finding students who have a pretty considerable GPA. So we're talking really about maybe the top 10, maybe even the top 20% of law students as far as GPA goes who are even candidates for these positions. But um, I do think it is starting to or or has in the past had an impact on uh, students' career choices and expectations. I think for students who are uh, you know, second and third years, they're really starting to think about their uh, their debt load um, and uh, their, their what their life is going to be like after graduation. And perhaps some of those students who might have come into law school thinking, boy, it would be great to be a public defender or a prosecutor or work for the Environmental Protection Agency or some other uh, public interest or public service job, are now thinking, boy, how am I going to be paying these law school loans and maybe I'm not going to turn away from the big firm, at least um, in the beginning. I think it also has an effect on students in the, um, as they're starting to consider law school as an option for after college because they're, sometimes I find with the students who uh, are just starting out or come in as admitted students but before they start law school, they ask questions that indicate their expectations might be a little bit um out of line with what reality is going to be after graduation when they see these big numbers. They're, um, they uh, don't really um, understand that that's not a choice that everyone will have at the end of law school. Do you, do you know what the gulf is we're talking about here? In other words, what, what would be a typical starting salary for a public service job, say going into legal services or, or a public defender's office or something along those lines? Well, here in Philadelphia, I'd be you know very interested to hear um, what other people have. Uh, the other people uh, have to say about other parts of the country, but here in Philadelphia, I'm going to say 45,000 to uh, in the city of Philadelphia. Some in the suburban counties, it could be as low as forty thousand dollars for um, some entry-level public interest and in public service jobs. 
Well, with law school, loans being as much as they are, is going to be important for law students to try and, and compete for these jobs. Michael, we know money is important, but how important is a big salary to graduates considering job offers? Um, I mean, certainly that uh, varies by individual, um, but with uh, the way tuition continues to increase uh, year after year and um, pretty much no way... Uh, you know, for most people to, to finance that uh, on their own in cash, uh, that debt load uh, really does, I think, at least to my colleagues that I talk to, uh, at least start to become a, a real factor in the, the type of career path that one chooses and um, uh, the type of salary that's associated with these, with these different career paths. What's the buzz in law school about these recent salary increases? Um. I'm not sure if we really understand the, the full impact of it, probably because we're in Iowa City, Iowa, at, at least at my school, and uh, where a fair number of students will go to you know, pretty big markets like Chicago and that. There's not a lot of students from Iowa that go to California or go to New York, so I'm not sure if, if we quite grasp uh, the impact or understand the, the impact quite yet. I think we just kind of lag behind in, in getting the information and also feeling the impact where a lot of the students here go to work. Well, I'll jump in and say, as far as... Uh um, you know, an East Coast law school where, you know, we do have students who would be eligible for or, you know, more likely to take those New York and California jobs, and, of course, the Philadelphia salaries are going up, too. Um, there is buzz, and it seems, you know, very exciting and, and attractive to students. But in my opinion, this is, um, this is an example of where maybe the student mentality is, you know, it, it looks it looks attractive on the surface, in other words, but I'm sure Carrie will back this up. Once you get to the um, you know the reality of the practice of law at major firms that are paying 125, 135, 145, this you've made a trade in your life by accepting this salary because partners are not um, you know this won't always be part uh, financed out of the partners' uh, pockets. This is going to result in billable hour increases and um, a trade-off in quality of life. I think this is largely blood money. I've heard a number of um, corporate counsel just kicking and screaming about these increases, saying that you know they're the ones, the, the large companies, the ones that hire these big law firms, and they're the ones that are going to have to pay the freight for this, and they're not pleased about doing that. Do you think that the, some of this is going to cause a shift for corporate counsel to move toward uh, less expensive firms? Then the uh, kind of a follow-up question to that is, is there going to be a trickle-down effect on other smaller, mid-sized law firms to increase salaries? That's this is a really good question. question. This is uh, this is Carrie. I think that you know. I think a lot of corporations do expect that their billing rates are going to go up. Um, and for some of the mega firms uh, who have an institutional clientele, I'm not sure that that's a big problem for them. Um, you know, rates have gone up incrementally over time, um, and that's something that you always do expect, um, just as an economic factor as time goes on and inflation and all the other stuff. Um, I do think for mid-sized firms, for firms in um, markets that are not as large as New York, L.A., San Francisco, et cetera, uh, this does pose a problem because uh, they are going to be a lot more constrained in how high they can raise salaries, 
how much of that expense they can pass through to their clients. Uh, and I think the divide between the top 10 and 20% that Melissa talked about and everybody else is going to increase. And that makes it tough for law students and for lawyers to really evaluate what their worth is in the market. Well, I, I'm hearing GC uh, say that they are starting to look at some of the, the you know, medium-sized, more regional firms over some of the, the, the more monolithic firms for precisely this reason, that they don't want to be carrying the freight. And, uh, you know, they're going to continue to go to the big firms for, uh, you know, bet the company cases, significant cases, uh, but for some of the more commoditized uh, kind of work that they send outside, uh, they're going to be shopping around a little more because of this. I've, I've heard some say. Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, it, it really defend, depends on the, the type of firm you're talking to. If you're talking about a large white shoe New York firm that has investment banks as clients, um, nobody's probably worried about that. If you're talking about um, a firm, especially in a smaller market, um, you know who is who is watching the numbers a little bit more closely, um, and who can shop around. You know, I'm sure that's going to be an issue over time. Yeah, Carrie, I was wondering what this does internally within a firm. I mean, Craig mentioned the trickle down effect, but is there also a trickle up effect? Is is there uh, does this drive the, up the salaries of second, third, fourth, fifth year associates? And uh, you mentioned billable hours. What does this do to the billable hours equation? Uh, it, it it does drive up salaries. Um, in addition to my perspective as, as a recruiter, when I was a lawyer, um, I was lucky enough to be on the associate end of a bunch of salary increases. Um, and it can be it can be tense. I mean, for, for a brief time, we had, I think, senior associates making more than junior partners just because they had not yet gone through all the adjustments all the way up. Um, do I think it's going to drive up stated billable hour requirements? No. Um, might there be some partners saying, when I was your age, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow, and I'm going to need you to, uh, you know, work a little bit harder for this ridiculously high salary? Yeah. I mean, people said it to me. I'm sure it'll happen. Michael, when you look at uh, around at your fellow classmates at law school as one of the top-ranked schools in the country, do you think that the top law students in, in Iowa and other schools are going to be comp- trying harder to get these jobs? Um, the you know the students that are that are in of that caliber and and have the position within the school to go after these jobs. I don't know if this is going to be any more impetus uh, than it was before to go after these jobs. You know, generally these are my classmates that are super motivated and really want this as a career path and and whether this salary adjustment uh, does anything to affect their their drive to get these jobs, I don't know. There's a little bit of that Gen X attitude that, you know, I I think about sometimes whether law students uh, are going to look at these salary increases and just say, well, that's nice, thanks a lot, but, you know, I think I'm going to do what I'd always planned on doing anyway and going into a public sector job or some other job that I think I'm going to be more motivated at. Do you think that that salaries really are a draw? I mean, is that, do you think they're going to attract top talent? Um, you know, to people that were interested in, in going into private practice, large firm practice, um, yeah, it's a draw. But I, I think if you came in wanting to do public interest work, uh, this change at the upper echelon of, of top firms isn't going to change your desire to do public interest work. There was already, you know, such a, a gap between these top firms starting salaries and what you were going to make doing public interest anyway that 
does an additional $10,000 difference change anything anyway? I, I don't think so. Well, you know, it's interesting, this Gina, Gina Passarella's uh, article from the Legal Intelligencer, I think it was yesterday, uh, she points out that in 1985, uh, starting salary was around $36,000 for a first year at a major Philadelphia firm. Uh, you know, at that level, there's not such a huge gap between, you know, public service, government service, and, and private practice. Now we're talking about a gap of, you know, approaching $100,000 between the top and the bottom of the range, and it's got to be a more difficult decision. I think it's, it is becoming a more difficult decision for a lot of, a lot of law students who are, um, like Michael said, in that caliber of students who would be attractive to large to large firms, and it's it's really a shame in a way because you know for many of the students they came to law school with the sole purpose of of serving the public of doing um, you know concentrating on on public interest uh, missions and objectives and it's once once you become eligible for the the really really high paying job it, it's it becomes more of a reality when you come into law school it's all pie in the sky but then when you you know, end up in the top 10% of your class and you make the law review and all of a sudden these big firms are knocking on your door with these large salaries, it becomes more of a, um, you know, a, a reality-based choice. And, you know, then, then the slippery slope commences. Oh, well, I'll take the big firm job and I'll just be really dedicated to pro bono, et cetera, and, and um, off they go. So what's your advice to students facing this dilemma? Well, I think, I think you have to... You have to be realistic coming into law school, and I think, I mean, part of me would, you know, likes to, would like to be able to counsel students, oh, stick with the public interest mission, this is a, you know, this is what you wanted all along, and believe me, I'm, I'm sure Carrie can back up, there are many, many, many dissatisfied lawyers at large law firms who kind of wish that they had, hadn't um, put on the golden handcuffs at big firms and uh, been, you know, true to their public interest mission to begin with, but um, I think the reality of the of law school debt is the thing that holds me back from giving that unbridled advice. This debt load is so enormous on students coming out of school nowadays. I mean, even at a school like Temple, which is, has a very reasonable in-state tuition, it's it's a reality that they're going to be with living with for a really long time. And at the at the end of the day, when you're making a decision about you know, how your rest of your, or at least like the next 10 years of your life is going to go when you have um, this kind of debt load. It's, it's, it's hard to give students, you know, the advice of just, just keep going, you know, go for that public interest job. Carrie, how does a big law firm justify salaries over $100,000 for someone who basically has no legal, practical legal training? They know how to think, but they don't know how to practice law. Sure. Well, I think my understanding is in, in sort of the law firm construct of economics, in the first year or so, um, associates really don't make you any money. First-year associates aren't really making you any money because you're training them. Uh, you're not billing them out at high billing rates. Um, because we are talking, again, as Melissa mentioned, about the top 10, 20 percent of the law school class, we're dealing with highly, highly intelligent individuals. Um, but the, the calculus for law firms is that, that associates really add value over time. Um, so keeping, keeping somebody through their first year, second year, third year, um, that's really where the value is to the clients. And I think having, having been through that, 
um, the learning curve is really high. I mean, I remember the first six months of practice, I just felt like, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then, you know, you hit third year and you're like, oh, I actually, you know, really know some stuff that's valuable to people. Um, so I think that, that in the first year, um, you know, nobody's trying to make a bunch of money um, on the associates, but uh, the training goes on and then the value really comes in the years following. Is this, is this a matter of keep, for the firms of, of keeping up with the Joneses? I mean, what's going on in these firms that, that uh, causes them to follow the lead of the other firms? Is it simply competition for the best students? Well, Bob, let's take a short break while we let the, our guests think about that question. I think we have to hear from our commercial sponsors at this point. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams in Newport Beach in Southern California with my co-host Bob Ambrosi in Massachusetts. We're talking about associate salaries at law firms across the country and a recent trend for bigger firms to offer upwards of $145,000 to start. And Bob, you asked a question before the break. Yeah, thanks, Craig. I, uh, uh, Carrie, I was just going to ask you, what, what's, what's the process going on within these firms that, that leads them to, uh, to drive up salaries? It, it, are they uh, kind of just keep playing, keeping up with the Joneses, or is there something more complex going on here? Uh, it, it's absolutely, in my opinion, competition. Uh, we have seen if a firm does not raise their salaries commensurate with uh, their neighbors, um, of, of similar firms uh, down the street, uh, their associates will leave them and go to the firm that's paying $10,000 more, $15,000 more, what have you. Um, and you also need to understand that uh, this summer when the summer associates come in, the firms who were the first or the second or the third to raise salaries in their city are absolutely going to be telling 
um, potential recruits, hey, we care about our associates. We were the, we were the first ones to do this. Um, it's, it's definitely bragging rights to be at the top of the game in terms of raising salaries. Well, Michael, realistically, when you and most of your fellow law students, what do you guys have as law students as an expectation for starting salaries? Um, I, would, I would say that that does vary widely, um, especially if you're thinking about staying in a place like Iowa as opposed to, uh, to leaving Iowa. Um, I would guess, you know, most people that are leaving Iowa going to any type of mid-major market, major market, or, you know, I, I would say that there's an expectation of, you know, $100,000 plus to start, and uh, that expectation gets rolled back significantly, though, if, if you think you're going to stay someplace uh, close to Iowa City or within the state uh, in general. But um, I think there's, you know, the expectation uh, even around here and getting into the, some of the bigger firms in Iowa is, $100,000 and then on up, and especially as you get into those bigger cities. Do we know, I was, Melissa, I'm wondering, do we know whether this has any impact on the kinds of people who apply to law school in the first place? Um, well, I, I think that question would probably be better directed to my admissions department, but I, I do have the sense in talking with, um, with some of the uh, newly admitted students that I mean, they're very serious about and ask very serious questions about what their job, you know, what their expectations could be, um, how much money they're going to be making, um, what their prospects are. In other words, so I, I do think, to a certain extent, it does have an impact on um, on the the folks who are just leaving college or, or thinking about a, another career and starting law school. You know, how are the? Uh, I guess the when you look at. Once you get into law school and you you move out, how are the smaller to mid-sized firms going to compete with attracting any kind of serious talent if the law firms that are are big are paying such high salaries? Well, I I have a a great concern about that because I think um, I I fear that students will start to think, start to have these dollar signs in their eyes and have an expectation that they will, that they're, you know, entitled to or heading towards these very large salaries. And as, as Carrie and others have pointed out, there's absolutely no way a small to mid-sized firm will be able to sustain, you know, those kinds of salary adjustments, especially as you move out from, you know, a large urban center into, you know, smaller cities and suburbs, even here on the East Coast. And it's a shame because, of course, as, we, as we've been saying, it's the top 10 or so percent of students who go to these really large, um, larger mega firms, as Carrie called it, and called them, and then the rest of the, rest of the population who doesn't go into public service ends up working at small firms. I mean, this is where law is practiced in America for the most part. And I, I fear for firms like that, that they will be, that they'll be squeezed, that they'll be unable to attract you know, solid legal talent coming out of law school, um, there there might have to be some kinds of uh, adjustments made in, in those settings. What do you think that these salary increases are going to do for clients? Is it Are these salary increases going to cause clients to have to pay more, and is it going to eliminate or create an even greater gap for those that have to be able to get legal services and those that have not to be unable to get any kind of legal services? Well, Carrie might be better able to answer that question, but I, I think 
in some um, cases, I have a law firm background as well, and I think that firms will just have to make choices. Let's say you have, you're have you a 50-person firm in suburban Philadelphia. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to go up, increase starting salaries, um, and then start to say no to some of the smaller clients you have because you're raising your fee structure to such an extent that those smaller clients aren't going to be able to support it, or you're going to reject the you know crazy uh, salary adjustments that are going on in the city and you're and you're committed to being kind of a, a small small town firm and serving those clients uh, with kind of a more reasonable fee base. I think that that you'll no longer be able to exist in, in kind of a limbo. You'll have to be making, a firm would have to make some serious choices there. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that we, we're, really ha- we're really bifurcating the, the legal profession into two worlds. There's, there's the world of the big firms and, and the major corporate clients, and then there's the world of the smaller firms and the more typical uh, clients, and uh, you know, they, they kind of coexist on parallel but separate realities. I think that's exactly right. I mean, what we're really talking about here, it gets so much publicity with good reason, but we're talking about very marquee firms. Almost all these firms have offices in multiple cities, if not international offices. These are very large firms with very large clients with a lot of money. Um, most clients who need legal help are not, uh, you know, are, are dealing with, with firms who, who aren't on these lists of, of very large firms who have raised salaries. Um, so it, it may not be an issue for uh, an awful lot of clients out there. It may also prevent those smaller firms from raising salaries, however. I think we're uh, running short on time, and I wanted to give uh, each of you an opportunity to uh, give a, any quick final thoughts you want, and also to tell us uh, uh, if you uh, have any contact information or websites that you'd like to point out, to please do that. Carrie, uh do you have any uh, short final thoughts, and, and do you have a, a website for BCG Search? Uh, we absolutely have a website, um, www.bcgsearch.com. I understand that it's a great place for associates to go during boring conference calls. <laughs> um, in terms of final thoughts, I think a lot of the salary um, salary information, we're going to continue to hear about it. It's going to continue to um, be an issue uh, for for a certain amount of time while firms figure out what they're going to do. Um, and then it will probably quiet down uh, until the next round in a couple of years. Thanks. Melissa, a quick final thought from you? Or? Well, I certainly agree with Carrie. Um, it, this, these salary adjustments have happened before, and they'll probably happen again, but I sure hope it stops for a little while and let us all catch our breath. Um, my law school's website is... Uh, law.temple.edu, and I'll give my email address, if you don't mind. It's melissa.lennon, L-E-N-N-O-N, just like John, at temple.edu, and I'd invite any students who have questions uh, or concerns about salary uh, to drop me an email. I'd be happy to respond. And, Michael, since you're the law student, you get to wrap up with the last final closing thought. Well, as a a law student that's not too far away from uh, having to settle on a, on a job and a career in a firm, uh, I can't say that I'm disappointed with the uh, adjustments that are happening uh, in the salary world, uh, but beyond that, uh, uh, I can say that if anybody has any comments or questions or want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is through uh, com. and uh, thank you. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you to our listeners on Coast to Coast right here on the Legal Talk Network. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.